The first time a newspaper printed the words Harshad Mehta is a liar, it was because Harshad Mehta himself had paid them to do so. The headline was an ad designed to draw attention to his investment firm Grow More Consultants, which was looking for more clients to introduce to the stock market. The ad was supposedly a glimpse into the super broker's investment philosophy, the secret behind one of India's richest men at that point, and his Midas touch of being able to pick stocks whose price kept going up, up and up. Harshad Mehta was no ordinary broker and investor. In 10 short years, he had gone from being a jobber, someone who bought and sold shares at the physical stock exchange on the orders of a broker, like a delivery guy, but on the stock market floor, to being called the Amitabh Bachchan of stock trade. He was seemingly making millions for his investors and for himself through a mysterious ability to divine which stocks would go up in value and which wouldn't. The real secret was much more mundane. He had access to privileged information and a network and setup through which he could exploit that information for gains. In economic terms, when during a transaction either the buyer or the seller has more information about the value of what was being exchanged than the other, what arises is called information asymmetry. And in the late 1980s and early 1990s, the period of Harshad Mehta's spectacular rise and his sudden fall, the Indian capital markets were the epitome of information asymmetry. With his ability to exploit that asymmetry, Harshad Mehta appeared to be an all-powerful wizard. But within five months of that newspaper ad, he would have been arrested and charged with fraud and criminal conspiracy. Much like the powerful wizard of Oz, Harshad Mehta's wizardry would have been revealed to be nothing but a financial smokescreen. Hello and welcome to Book of Sins, a podcast from The Economist that delves into the economics of financial scams and tries to decipher how they could have taken place. I'm your host, Tariq Laskar. In Season 1, we are looking back at the 1992 stock market scam in India and the role played by Harshad Mehta, the broker who was nicknamed the Big Bull. This is Episode 1, The Cult of equity. To understand how virtually one man could engineer a scam valued at 50 to 60 billion rupees, which at the existing exchange rates back in 1992 would have translated to almost 2 billion dollars, we have to go back to the beginning and understand what the stock market does. And also take a quick crash course on how that market operated in India around the time when Harshad Mehta set foot in it. In a typical modern economy, the job of the stock market is to help companies raise capital and allocate existing financial capital to those best capable of bearing the risk. The price of a company's stock is effectively a gamble on the future prospects of the company, and it changes based on what people think those prospects are like. Are they bright? like a wizard's patroness from the Harry Potter books, or dark and desolate like the Dementors, again from the Harry Potter books. In the stock market, which physically exists as a stock exchange, buyers and sellers would exchange stocks for a price based on whether they were the patroness guys, that is those who thought the prospects were good, 
and were generally called the bulls because they thought the prices would keep going up or were they the dementor dudes those with a gloomy outlook those who thought the prices would go down and were usually called the bears prices went up or down based on which of these the bull or the bears were more in number in economic terms it was like any other market the price was dependent on supply and demand the supply of a stock was based on the number of shares a company would have issued the demand was created by people who would want to buy those shares from investors who already owned them the more that people desired to own a stock the more they were willing to pay for it but the supply of shares of any stock was usually limited investors can only buy shares that were already owned by somebody else so if one person wanted to buy somebody else had to sell and vice versa if a lot of people wanted to buy at the current price and not a lot of people wanted to sell the price would go up until more people were willing to sell when the price was high enough when buyers no longer wanted the stock the price would start to drop this fluctuation would continue as companies stock prices would find a certain equilibrium which would keep shifting based on the viewpoints held by these bulls and bears as to the future prospects of the company the viewpoint that they held was dependent on the information that they had and as information changed so did the prices of the stocks all of this action usually took place at the stock exchange where buyers and sellers are linked together by brokers brokers who have membership of the exchange and are authorized to trade there india got its first stock exchange in 1985 that makes the bombay stock exchange asia's oldest but india's capital markets took a long time to develop that was mainly because post independence india adopted soviet style planning as the model for development and this either heavily reduced or tightly regulated the role of the private sector as hamish macdonald describes in his book the polyester prince and i quote stock exchanges had arrived in the major cities in india as part and parcel of the british capitalism imported in the 1880s the exchanges were run by cliques or brokers who set their own rules of trading and rarely punished one of their brethren for abuse of client's trust after periodic busts the general public had learned to distrust the share market with only a very small percentage of equity traded actively the managements of listed companies were concerned more with dividend levels than with share prices the bigger companies went to banks for their finance rather than to the market and quote all this was about to change in 1980 between 1949 and 1979 indian companies on an average had raised rupees 58 crores or around 580 million annually through the stock market the highest in any of these years was 92 crores but by the end of 1983 the amount had jumped almost 20 fold to rupees 10 billion per year and playing a key role in the jump was a company that had gone public in 1977 the company reliance industries reliance initially made a public offer of 2.8 million equity shares 
of rupees 10 each at par which meant the people bought a share worth 10 rupees in the company at a price of 10 rupees the shares were taken out from the holdings of founder dhirubhai ambani and his younger brother dhirubhai was smitten by the idea of a huge shareholding base and reliance kept expanding its equity base by issuing extra shares through rights and bonus issues to its shareholders by the end of 1986 reliance had raised an unheard of rupees 940 crores from the public over 8 years and dhirubhai ambani's heyday in the capital markets coincided with the rise of the so-called equity cult in the half a decade between 1980 and 1985 the number of indians owning shares had increased almost five times to 4 million reliance alone had more than 1 million by the end of 1985 it was according to hamish mcdonald's the polyester prince by far the widest shareholder base of any indian company and until the privatization of major utilities like british telecom or nippon telephone and telegraph in japan probably in the world the peak manifestation of that equity cult phenomenon was a full display in may 1985 when dhirubhai ambani hired a football ground in mumbai to accommodate the 12000 shareholders who had turned up for the annual general meeting this was a scene paid homage to in the movie based loosely on dhirubhai ambani's life called guru abhishek bachchan played the titular character and the movie ends with a scene of him addressing his shareholders in a huge gathering at a stadium back then when reliance organized this gathering of 12000 shareholders it was probably a world record as more people from the upper middle class in india and even non resident indians who had been allowed to invest in indian companies from 1982 onwards dipped their feet into the stock market waters it was no coincidence that a young clerk working his first job in the marine insurance desk at the new india assurance company began paying attention to this curious game called the stock market he was restless ambitious and a hyper hustler soon harshad chantilal mehta had quit his job and become a jobber at the bombay stock exchange india's premier bourse was located on dalal street dalal being the hindi word for broker and the similarity of its sound to wall street may not have been a coincidence the street itself was chock full of brokerage offices where brokers accountants and lawyers plied their trade and played their role in the securities and capital market and while the bombay stock exchange building may have looked like a towering modern structure a symbol of india's financial capital its operations were chaotic and old school the trading floor in the exchange operated like those in the early 20th century there were counters for different shares and jobbers wearing blue jackets were frantically running around screaming gesticulating shouting and barking buy and sell offers in an effort to match buyers with sellers this visceral quality to the spectacle and harshad mehta became a jobber after having spent numerous afternoon lunch hours observing this very chaos along with his brother when he was at new india assurance the old school approach also meant that the flow of information was slow and actual settlement of trades that is delivering the shares to those who had bought the shares and getting the payment from them or getting shares from those who had sold them and making the payments to those people usually took a lot of time and the records were often based on haphazardly maintained ledgers and books 
a lot of the business was based around trust often a transaction recorded on a scrap of paper would serve as the record until it was formalized in the books and in some cases that could take up to weeks this made having extra information about the companies one was trading in even more valuable the market simply did not have the flow to process the information rather quickly and it became an advantage like being able to see what cards others are holding in a game of poker or knowing that your scrabble opponent is out of wild ties harshad mehta had an early taste of this when he was a jobber of premier auto this automobile company whose car model 118 ne is also the model of the famous iconic taxis that are seen in bombay had just released a newspaper article talking about raising their prices and harshad mehta felt that the value of the share would increase but to find out exactly by how much he needed information from the inside so he contacted a labor union leader at premier auto and wanted to find out the production schedule in advance he also wanted to be tipped off in case there was any labor trouble brewing or any strikes potentially happening this was privileged and private information and it gave harshad mehta a huge advantage an advantage that under current laws would be considered illegal under insider trading but back then india had no law against insider trading and a wily young jobber had just found out that the simple economics of information held the key to making him rich beyond anyone's wildest dreams he along with his brothers started growmore consultants in august 1981 the mehta striking out on their own as a brokerage house harshad's uncanny ability to pick bargain stocks often with a generous dose of help from inside information won them many clients who were impressed by the returns they were delivering of course the returns you could say were juiced by 1985 when dhirubhai ambani was basking in the glory of the peak of the equity cult at a football stadium in mumbai gromore had lived up to its name registering its best year yet but the success also bred jealousy and jealousy bred enemies Harshad wasn't the only one with the ability to manipulate and corner the markets. Rival brokers, who were part of a bear cartel, started driving prices down in key stocks that Mehta and his firm were most bullish about. It was the stock market equivalent of spy versus spy, and the shadow espionage almost drove Gromore to ruin as the Mehtas lost big money on their positions. They decided to close Gromore down by the end of 1986. They liquidated their portfolios, paid their clients back, and asked them to patronize some other brokerage. Harshad Mehta had realized that there wasn't much success to be had by just being a broker, by just being the middleman. He needed to be putting his own money and trading on his own account. In market jargon, he wanted to become a principal. In 1983, the then Pepsi CEO John Scully was hired for Apple by Steve Jobs, who famously had asked him, "Do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life, or come with me and change the world?" In late 1986, Harshad Mehta had his own John Scully moment. Only instead of Steve Jobs, it was his brother Ashwin asking the question, "Do you want to remain a broker for the rest of your life, or be an investor?" Harshad Mehta. wanted to be an investor he wanted to be the biggest investor india had ever seen in finance information advantages are cool 
But to translate that into serious money, you need serious seed capital. To hit the big time, Harshad Mehta needed a bazooka. And he had just figured out where in the Indian financial system that bazooka lay hidden. Next time on Book of Sins, Harshad Mehta sets his mechanism in motion and India's financial institutions are ready to play sneaky. Book of Sins is written and presented by me, Tariq Laskar. The executive producer of Book of Sins is Jayanth Nanjapa. Research for this episode has drawn from numerous sources, but the two main ones are the books The Polyester Prince by Hamish MacDonald and The Scam by Sucheta Dalal and Devashish Basu. The background music is by Lee Rose Vier. If you like this episode, leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you are listening. It helps the podcast to be discovered. And once again, thank you for listening. This has been an Economist presentation.